Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Vernon Adams Jr. getting pulled early in week two by head coach Kahari Jones. Dane Evans claiming he should have been ruled down on a late fourth quarter fumble. The Canadian Football Hall of Fame announcing its class of 2022. Canadian Chase Claypool calling himself a top three NFL receiver. Oh, me, oh, my and a devastating injury to Riders offensive lineman Dan Clark. But first. Bo Levi Mitchell spoke emphatically following Calgary's come-from-behind win over the Ticats, saying, quote, I'm not going to use my middle fingers, but the ones who have been talking trash, it's nice to be back. Close quote. Has Bo Levi Mitchell done enough to prove his haters wrong? I have criticized Bo Levi Mitchell in this space, so I want to say... Kudos to Bo on a great second half. 230 yards. He threw for two touchdowns. He helped lead the comeback down 24 points at the half at what was very hostile territory, Tim Hortons Field. Not an easy place to visit. That said, this was Bo's second 300-yard game since the 2019 season. I give Bo credit, and obviously he has not liked what he's been reading on social media about that he's considering this somewhat of a revenge or comeback tour, it would seem. But I don't think that a 313-yard performance really is enough to, to, to launch him necessarily on its own to a great season. I still want to see more from Mr. Mitchell, especially after, let's be honest, he didn't play well in the preseason and he didn't play very well in the first week of the season, a narrow win over the Montreal Oets. I think any credit we give Bo Levi Mitchell for that fantastic second half, the 230 yards through the air, the two touchdowns. We also have to point out that came after he had 70 yards in the first half. He threw that pick to Jovan Santos Knox. That's when things turned around. So right now, even if we just isolate this to the 2022 season, we've seen six pretty bad quarters from Bo Levi Mitchell and two good ones. Now, I hope The two good ones are what we see going forward because this is a better league when Bo Levi Mitchell is playing at the Hall of Fame caliber that we all know he was once capable of. But I do not think we're at a stage yet where we can forget about those six first quarters and the last two years. He hasn't done enough to prove everyone wrong who was criticizing him. First things first here, boys. I thought Mr. Mitchell deleted his Twitter and was (laughs) off the platform. Does this mean he has a burner account? (laughs) 
Who knows? I think that's what's going on here because clearly he's heard a lot of the doubters and at least read it on Twitter because there's not so much of that stuff on Instagram. So in my mind, it's something that he used to fuel himself. And I thought you guys put it pretty well there in terms of his performance. He owes a win really in those chances to Titus Wall to a large extent, but <laughs> more so to Dane Evans. Evans has turned the ball over a CFL high seven times in the first two games and had a couple of key turnovers in that loss to Calgary, which allowed the Stampeders to come all the way back. Now, that's not discrediting what Mitchell did in any way, and he did have a massive second half, as you guys said, 230 yards, but it wasn't the Mitchell of old slinging those passes around like a gunslinger with the type of zip that we're used to seeing from vintage Mitchell. He was certainly accurate, anticipated better, and was reading coverage better, but there was still times where I thought, is his arm strength ever going to get back to that level after that shoulder injury in 2019? You see kind of flashes and glimpses of it, but I don't think it's ever going to get all the way back there to the gunslinger that we saw, especially when he came in the league and for so many years in his prime leading Calgary to the top of the West division. I still think the stamps can be great cup contenders with him playing like he did, especially in that second half, but he's going to have to show more of this to ultimately silence the doubters who are starting to think he's closer to the end of his career. Well, let's also remember that we're not judging Bo Levi Mitchell on the same standard as a Nathan Rourke or even a Cody Fajardo. This is a guy who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer one day. This is a guy who has repeatedly shown over the last decade that he is the best quarterback in the CFL. And that is the standard, fair or not, he is held to and I will continue to hold him to. Currently, and this this is not me being biased, this is just the numbers, quarterback efficiency rating, number one full-time starter is Nathan Rourke, followed by Cody Fajardo, Zach Kolaris, Jeremiah Masoli, Dane Evans, and McLeod Bethel-Thompson. So he's not in the top five right now. And it's a small sample size. It's only two weeks. I don't want to jump all over this. But if this is Bo Levi Mitchell's idea of a win, right, that he's number six in a nine-team league in quarterback efficiency rating among full-time starters, that's not the Bo of old. The the Bo of old wants to be number one, and that's it. It's a one-player list, and Bo, boom, is there. So I do still want to see more from Bo Levi Mitchell. The good news for him, he's got the Edmonton Elks this week. So I think he'll have another big day if the last two weeks have been any indication whatsoever. Hopefully this can be a bit of a symbiotic relationship here between us and Bo Levi Mitchell, because when he says the hayers, I'm sure he's referencing some of our work, some of our conversations on the podcast where we have said these things before we've expressed our doubts about his health while we're expressing them again, Bo, go out there and show us wrong. And Mitchell is all about honesty, to be quite honest, in my dealings with him throughout his career. He's never really one that's wanted praise. Like I have this phrase that I use for myself that compliments create complacency. And I think Mitchell would probably tend to agree with that because he doesn't necessarily like that. He's always looking at what's next and how he can be better. But it's clear to me that he's heard all the doubters and he wants to flip a couple double birds to people to shut them up after that game. But 
one comeback win does not a season make, and Mitchell needs to put an entire season together. We've seen him do it in the past, and Hodge, you made a smart point there. We judge Mitchell differently than anybody else who's currently playing in the CFL right now, and dare I say anybody else that's even suited up in the league over the last decade, especially at the quarterback position because of what he did bursting onto the scene, taking Calgary to multiple Grey Cups, winning two, being a two-time MOP. And you could argue that you maybe should have won that award a couple other times. So it's a different level and lens that we look at Mitchell through. I certainly think he can still be productive. He knows the game really well and even showed that in his stint with TSN last year after Calgary was knocked out of the playoffs. He can convey it in very simple terms to the uninitiated, but he needs to continue what he did in the second half for the rest of the season for us to believe that Mitchell can continue to do this year in and year out. And honestly, a large part of it, guys, and we've alluded to this, is just the injuries. It's not so much his skill set or his release or mechanics or that he's deteriorating in any way that he plays the game. It's just that shoulder injury, in my mind, that sticks out way more than the broken leg. From one quarterback to another. Vernon Adams Jr. was pulled early in the second quarter this past week after generating just two first downs on Montreal's first four possessions against Toronto. Trevor Harris came on and threw 270 yards at an interception and had the Owls in position to win that game late had David Cote not missed a 21-yard field goal wide left. Adams won't play this week after contracting COVID-19, but who do you believe should be viewed as the Montreal's long-term starter? Now, I thought Vernon Adams Jr. being pulled was a little bit early. He did not have a good start to that game, but he only threw four passes before he was pulled by head coach Kahari Jones. To me, that was an early decision. If you want to look at the game we just talked about, Bo Levi Mitchell, by that extent, should have been pulled, and he wouldn't have had that huge comeback in the second half. Vernon Adams Jr. has shown us in the past he can be a player that is capable of those types of miraculous turnarounds in game. But right now for the Alouettes, you have to make a decision because two quarterbacks is way worse than none. You need to pick one of these guys. And it seems clear that Trevor Harris has to be the guy going forward. If you do not trust Vernon Adams Jr. to work himself out of a rut this early in the season, that early in a game, There's not enough trust there to be able to ride with him throughout the entire 18-game CFL season. Trevor Harris is viewed as the steadier hand. Perhaps that's what this organization needs right now. And I think even if VA hadn't uh, contracted COVID this week and we wish him a full recovery, even if he was fully healthy, I think Trevor Harris would have got this start. It seemed like that's the way it was going to go, especially after the way the Argos situation went in terms of Adams Jr. being pulled. And I don't necessarily think it was entirely Kahari Jones' decision because Danny Machocha, the general manager, was down there on the sideline. And we know Machocha likes a quarterback more closely to the style of Ricky Ray, who he won a great cup with way back 
in Edmonton. I'm not saying Harris is Ricky Ray, but the styles are similar. High completion rate, guys that win from the pocket and that are less erratic than Adams Jr. I think Jones probably trusts Vernon Adams Jr. to work through some issues because that's what he did in 2019 to get the Alouettes in the playoffs. And even though he was hurt last year, you could see times where when he gets hot, he's really good and he might be as good as anybody in the league. But the issue is he's not consistent. And when he's not hot, He's really ice cold. And I'm with you there, JC. I think the decision, regardless of what happened at the end of that Toronto game, would have been to go with Harris again because he finished it out. He studies the offense. And mentally and in terms of body language, he's not as up and down as Vernon Adams Jr. is. Credit to him. He wears his heart on his sleeve. We love those type of athletes. But Harris, you could look at, you don't know if he's thrown a touchdown, an interception, or taken a massive shot in the pocket. He just gets up and goes about his business. So I think that's what Machocha likes. And make no mistake, he is the one in Montreal pulling the strings. Yeah, to me, and by the way, I will point out, before the season started, we talked a lot about VA and Trevor Harris in Montreal. And a lot of people accused us of making Mountains out of mole hills, like, no, this is VA's job. Well, he had it for five quarters. Like, let's let's get that right. This was always a move that could have been made if Vernon Adams Jr. did not come out of the gate hot this season. And lo and behold, the change was made. Another quote I thought was telling, Trevor Harris was on the All Ball podcast this week, hosted by our good friend, Natea J. He said, quote, there might be a time where we go back to VA. And I told him he's just got to be ready for that, close quote. To me, that that wording, there might be a time where we go back to VA, says everything you need to know about who is going to start this week, regardless of Vernon Adams contracting COVID, because this quote was was said on a Sunday. Vernon Adams Jr. did not miss practice due to illness until Monday. In fact, Sunday morning, Harris and Adams were in the facility together working out and watching film. So to me, Harris was always going to be the starter in week three, and it appears as though he's going to be the starter four weeks to come in La Belle Provence. One element of this we haven't talked about, and I think we do need to touch on, is the fact that the injury to Williams standback also changes what this team has to do offensively. And I think VA benefits from having that pounding running back that you do have to account for. So all those RPOs, all those play actions, all of those things that get him out to the edge and, and rolling out outside the pocket work effectively and he can work his magic. Trevor Harris doesn't need that as much as a pocket passer. You can make it a more high efficiency offense with him at the helm and without William Stanback, with all due respect to Jess Rung Antry and, and Walter Fletcher, I think you need that. Can we just for one second alert freezing cold takes here because Vernon Adams Jr. was hot and bothered all off season and directed a lot of that animosity towards me and usually I don't like talking about this stuff and I ignored it, but we were coming from a place of knowledge, knowing that Harris chose to go back to Montreal, believing it was his best chance to get back into a number one role. That's already what's happened, as Hodge pointed out, five quarters into the season and Vernon Adams Jr. was lighting me up on Twitter, which is fine. I can take it. I'm a big boy, but we were essentially warning Vernon Adams Jr. that he needed to be on his game to start the season or this is what was going to happen. So let's just leave it there, Mr. Adams Jr., because you had fair warning that this was a possibility and it's gone the way that we thought at least was possible. 
Moving on to the biggest controversy of the week. Believe it or not, that one wasn't the biggest. Edmonton Elks offensive lineman Mark Corte missed the team's home opener last week because he was attending his own wedding. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Man, when I first heard about this, and I'm going to say this, having an idea that Corte is a really good dude. He's been in that community for a long time, obviously played the University of Alberta, a great athletic offensive lineman. But no matter what locker room you're in, you don't miss a game. I don't care if that's amateur football, high school football, university football, Canadian junior football, NCAA football, or in this case, CFL football, you get paid to play the games. Now, this was clearly talked about, but I can assure you, Chris Jones ain't going to come out and say it. He would not have liked that move whatsoever. And I'm sure Jones was thinking, hey, if we had Corte in the game against the Riders, would we have had good enough protection to beat them because the Elks were right in that game down to the wire until Cody Fajardo spun away from a Jones blitz and finds Mitch Picton wide open and blown coverage to score the game winning touchdown. So this is not going to necessarily be said with a microphone in front of them, but I'm sure the guys in the locker room were going, why would you schedule your wedding on the day of the home opener of all times, like get it done a little bit before, unless the date had some sort of sentimental meaning. We don't necessarily know this. Guys won't say it. They probably weren't happy in the locker room. Yeah, to me, I think this is a way exactly to create jealousy in your locker room because we know that Corte is the highest paid offensive lineman in the league, one of the highest paid on quarterbacks. And now he's getting this special treatment, being able to do this. Um, I, I saw some people comparing this to the birth of a child and it's like, well, if you're there for the birth of a child, you know, why, why not? It's like, no, sorry. These are two different things. The birth of a child is impossible to schedule. Kids just kind of show up, right? You, you don't get to pick the day that they show up. Secondly, it's important to be there for your partner because obviously giving birth to a child could lead to a serious medical emergency, right? 30 years ago, 40 years ago, men generally did not attend the birth of their child. And I think that it's a very positive social change that generally speaking, partners are together, right? When one of them is giving birth to me, a wedding is a completely different thing. Again, the date might've had some significance to Corte and his now wife. And, and you know what? I'm happy for them. I married myself, but I also didn't get married on a game day. I'm just saying, (laughs) (laughs) I'll say this, you know, Mark Corte in life, we're all allowed to make our, our own decisions and prioritize the things we think are important. And I think Mark Corte, if he thinks this was more important than the game, day, this specific day, getting it done, whatever the reason for that, if it was simply scheduling difficulties, if it was you know an emotional date for him, he's entitled to make that decision. But I think we're all entitled to give him some valid criticism for making that choice particularly when you are in the form of employment that he has. I I saw some people on Twitter who didn't have a problem with this and said, well, would you ask anyone in any other profession, you know, why they took time off work, you know, when they scheduled their wedding? I'm I'm sorry, what job are you working in that they don't ask you why you took time off? I mean, especially if you're, you're in a job where you're only really working and getting paid to work six months out of the year. I mean, I think we would all have questions if we had a school teacher who decided to get married on a Tuesday in October, right? That's not the time to do it. You have the summer 
for that period. You have six months of the year if you're Mark Corte to schedule your wedding. You can go down and maybe it's not ideal, but you can get it done at the courthouse tomorrow. That's how weddings work. It's signing a certificate. You have made a choice here. And to me, it's right for people both inside and outside of football to be able to criticize that. It's fair. And Corte is going to want all this to pass, but I think that's well said. I mean, you could even argue like do it on a bye week and you have time if you don't necessarily want to get married in the winter to do it when it's still nice weather out. So I think that's going to be some of the chatter among his teammates. And it's just surprising to see a guy who was heralded in terms of coming back home and signing that contract that Hodge alluded to that has him as one of the highest paid down quarterbacks in the entire league to miss the home opener. Like, I guess maybe it shouldn't matter compared to any other game. You really shouldn't be missing any of them. <laughs> I just think you made a fair point. Like you covered the league and you don't even want to miss any game. So I think there's enough time to choose to do it elsewhere. And we should probably wait to hear the explanation from the man himself, because if the date had some significance, then I think we can all understand that. I think the one other thing we do need to touch on with this, we've talked about him being the highest paid offensive lineman in the CFL. Well, he still is. He got paid to be at his wedding. They put him on the one game injured list. That money counts against the salary cap. He wasn't suspended. He didn't miss a paycheck. To me, if I was going to miss uh, a game for an event like this, if I had to get it done on this day, there was no other options to me. I would at least go to my team and say, please suspend me. Do not pay me for this week. I, I don't want to take away from my team's salary cap to go and be in Stony playing and get married? Uh, I would still want to get paid. I don't know about that, JC. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember that when you get married, JC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We're not going to go down a rabbit hole like we did last week with the underwear, okay? Let's keep it moving. The Canadian Football Hall of Fame announced its class of 2022 featuring Ricky Ray, Chip Kelly, Paul McCallum, Tim Tyndale. Dick Thornton, Dave Ritchie, Keith Evans, and Roy Shivers. Which name stands out the most to you fellas? Well, I think I heard you say Chip Kelly. It's Chip Cox who Ooh. went into those going into the Hall of Fame. You're thinking of the NFL coach, college Golly. coach. Thanks for the correction, buddy. It's all good. I, I know you know who Chip Cox is. I just wanted our listeners to get it. So what stood out most to me here is we've got Ricky Ray and we got Chip Cox going in as first ballot Hall of Famers. I did a deep dive last season on this when the class of 2021 was announced. And I learned there are only 22 first ballot Hall of Famers currently in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And I made a list of players who were not first ballot Hall of Famers. I'm going to rattle it off. It's going to shock some people. Damon Allen, Mike Pinball Clemens, Grover Covington, Matt Dunnigan, like Dan Kepley, Alfred Payton, Willie Pless, Mike Pringle was not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Chris Walby, Henry Gizmo Williams, like these are all timers. Willie Pless was not a first ballot Hall of Famer. So the fact that Ricky Ray and Chip Cox are going in as first ballot Hall of Famers, number 23 and number 24 respectively, is a massive deal. And I think that it really speaks volumes about how incredible they were on the field as pros Obviously, Chip Cox won one most outstanding defensive player award, but he was arguably the best, uh, certainly off-ball defensive player in the CFL for, for the better part of a decade. And Ricky Ray, I still can't believe he never won an MOP. He came close a bunch of times, never actually won one. But 
to me, obviously, uh, arguably the best quarterback of his generation and a player who I feel privileged to have watched throughout his tenure in the Canadian Football League. I may not be sitting here today talking to you guys about CFL football if it wasn't for Ricky Ray, because he was the player who made me fall in love with the game. The way, the way he went about it, how calm, how cool, how collected he was, the way he threw that corner route, it was special. And I loved that as a kid, you know, originally growing up in Edmonton, then moving out here to BC, Ricky Ray was the guy I worshipped. And I can vividly remember the day he was traded, sitting at the the kitchen table for breakfast, just looking at the article in the paper, not being able to (laughs) comprehend how anyone could do this, how the greatest (laughs) player alive could be traded for spare parts. Uh, Well, we'll let Eric Tillman uh, defend that decision some other time. Uh, but just a fantastic player and one that's very special to me. And then Chip Cox, you mentioned, I don't think he got enough credit for not only how dominant he was, but his longevity. I have a very good friend who played down at the University of Ohio. Um, Chip Cox is also an alumni of the University of Ohio. And he said, going through college, he was like a myth and a legend in the locker room. They would say to each other, you know, Chip Cox is still playing. It's like 13 years later. He's still playing. This guy had an air about him because of how dominant and how versatile he was on the football field. And he did it throughout his entire career. There was very little decline, even in in year 11. Names that stand out for me, Tim Tyndale, the former University of Western Ontario, now Western University athlete went to the NFL played for the Buffalo Bills in an area where it was very difficult for Canadians to do so especially at the skill position I mean Chuba Hubbard's got so much hype but Tyndale was able to do it way back in his time and it just doesn't really make sense to me how Roy Shivers is now in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame yet he's not on the Riders wall of honor it doesn't make any sense to me how you can be in the Hall of Fame first but on in the franchise that you guided for the majority of your career is not willing to honor you. I think that needs to be rectified in Ryderville. Absolutely. And, and before we go on one, one last thought about Chip Cox that I was thinking about yesterday is how much more love would he have league wide if he played in a place like Saskatchewan or a place like Winnipeg or a place like Edmonton? I like the fact that he played for Montreal his entire career hurt his legacy because as much as there are very obviously some very you know fervent alouettes fans it's kind of like playing your whole career for for the buffalo bills let's say instead of a team like the new york giants or a team like the dallas cowboys who everybody's always talking about right we don't talk about the buffalo bills unless they're great and i think the alouettes is a similar situation in this country we're always talking about the riders we're always talking about the bombers we're always talking about the tie cats we don't always talk about the Alouettes. And so I think the fact that Chip Cox flew under the radar is a bit of a shame, given as to where he played his entire career. Dane Evans said he believed he should have been ruled down late in the fourth quarter when Titus Wall stripped him of the football on third and short and returned it for a touchdown. Watching the playback, do you believe Evans has a point? Absolutely, he has a point. I thought forward progress was stopped. He got pushed back. I didn't really see. I I was surprised there wasn't a whistle blown, and I was surprised it wasn't overturned on replay. Now, maybe I would feel differently 
uh, if it was a running back fighting for those yards and he could have escaped. But traditionally, as soon as you get pushed back as the quarterback, you don't get the the option to continue forward. They blow that whistle quite quickly, and they didn't in this case. And so he ended up getting stripped for what was a pivotal play in the game, perhaps the most important play of the game to tie it because the referees did something that traditionally they wouldn't do in that situation. I'm surprised you're taking that stance, JC, because I'm on the other side. You play until the echo of the whistle. I don't care who you are on offense or whenever somebody has a football in your hands, you don't let it go. And I get how Evans was viewing it and that the play has been blown dead a bunch of times in the past, but the past doesn't predict the future. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get a whistle and you can't just let Titus wall come and rip the ball from you and go the other way and score a touchdown. You got to hang on to that thing. So in my mind, there's going to be times in the future where Evans is going to want to have that second or third opportunity to surge forward, to get the first down because maybe he didn't get it the first time. So I look at it from that perspective. You need to protect the football. You can't be loosey-goosey with it. And Evans has been that way to start the season. Seven turnovers, four fumbles, three lost, four picks. Like, he needs to take care of the football better. And in my mind, to be quite honest, somebody's got to tell him to stop whining because we don't usually see these types of comments from the Tiger Cats, especially Orlando Steinauer. He was asked about the play, said he had no comment about it, so I was surprised to see Evans go into detail. I understand that's your thinking, but this is pro ball, man. You do not let anyone take the ball away from you in that manner, and it completely changed the game, and it's the reason why the Tiger Cats are 0-2. I agree with Justin Dunk. I think that absolutely this play... and. I, I get JC's side of the argument. I get what Dane Evans is saying. Lock, like looking back, I would have 100% been okay with, with that being over, overturned and it remains the Ticats football. But as Mr. Dunk said, until the echo of the whistle, that ball is your life. The game is on the line. You need to find a way to hold on to it. Or on short yardage, you need to prevent that ball from becoming vulnerable, right? Whether that is you know, because because he kind of exposed it to get the first down. So I, I 100% um, think that this was a legitimate fumble and return by Titus Wall. Um, as much as Mr. Evans may not like it, I understand why the call stood. And at the end of the day, Dane Evans has to be better with his ball security. Because as Justin mentioned earlier, he's got seven turnovers through two games. You got to be better than that if you're going to be the undisputed franchise quarterback of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think to an extent, we may be talking about two different things because when I say I, I don't, I think the play should have been overturned, I'm criticizing the referees there, right? The Them not blowing the whistle sooner, which I believe Dane Evans has a point to. As to the question of ball security, I mean, Evans absolutely has to hang on to the football better. I mean, if he was one of the high school kids I, I coach, you know, if I see you in the supermarket holding a football, I'm going to be punching that thing out of there and you better hang on to it. It doesn't matter if the if the whistle's blown. It does, like if you've got a football in your hands, you better not let it go. So I think it's entirely valid to criticize him for that aspect of the play. I simply think the referees made a mistake on a play that was extremely slow developing. There was no forward momentum in my mind. I thought that whistle should have been blown. 
Dude, that takes me back to my days at the University of Guelph when if there were players who had ball issues, especially during training camp, they had to carry that thing around the entire day and sometimes for multiple days. And I mean, it was kind of back in those days where there was some hazing on rookies, but it wasn't just rookies. If you had let the ball go a couple times or you had the dropsies, then you had to carry that thing. And if somebody else brought it back to whoever the coach was that gave it to you, you would not want to be in that situation because you were getting something that was called a shield, which I'm not going to detail about, but it was God awful. And you're going to throw up multiple times to be sure. The other part of this to me is, and we talked about Vernon Adams Jr. earlier and some of the quarterback situations around the league. If Vernon Adams Jr. had turned the football over seven times in his first two games, there is no way he is going to be the quarterback in Montreal. Yes, it helps because they have Trevor Harris, but we've got to remember here, the guy behind Evans, and I'm not creating a controversy, I'm just telling it like it is, has some CFL experience, Matthew Schiltz, and he's been better than Evans overall in terms of protecting football. Doesn't have as much game time, but dare I say, if this was anybody else other than Evans in this situation, or even if it was Evans earlier on in his career, he would have been pulled from these games for turning the ball over and being so careless with it. Four fumbles. It's not even just the four interceptions. It's four fumbles, guys. That is atrocious for anybody on offense. I don't care who you are, quarterback, running back, receiver. Obviously, the offensive linemen don't touch the ball, but anybody to fumble it four times in two games just cannot happen. And if this was some of the other quarterbacks around the league, their butt would have been put on the bench after just a couple of those turnovers. And you can look right at Dane Evans, and some people don't want to hear the truth, but he is the reason that that comeback happened, him turning over the football. And, yes, he can explain what happened, but it doesn't matter because guess what? Those are the plays that were made. Those are the decisions that he decided to go with, and he's got to live with that. Now he's going to get the opportunity to continue to be the number one guy because he's making over $400,000 in hard money, but he needs to realize here that if he's not careful and he keeps turning the ball over, he's going to be out of there, and they're going to put somebody in there who can take care of it. David Watford did that last year in a couple of starts, and they won both those games. Was it ugly? Yes. Was it entertaining? No. But they got the win in those games. Evans has to cure these ball issues soon or there's going to be way more talk about this and increased pressure on him in Hamilton. Moving on to Saskatchewan, veteran Riders offensive lineman Dan Clark was carted off the field in week two and announced on Twitter that he'd suffered a fractured fibula and shifted ankle bone. Ouch. Can Saskatchewan overcome the loss of their longest tenured player? I believe they can on the field, and that's no shot at Clark. But I think what he brings more to that team is leadership. Cody Fajardo and anyone else who's talked about Clark since the injury has really alluded to that. He's an upbeat guy, energetic, is cracking jokes, has a guy smiling, but also knows how to put in the work. And more to that. It's been the only center that Fajardo has taken snaps from, except for the end of that fourth quarter in Edmonton, for all of his 31 games. It's the only player that's been on the Riders roster with him for all 31 of Fajardo's starts. So he's going to have to get used to a new center in Logan Bandy. The University of Calgary product went back to the Dinos for his final year of eligibility just to play center. He had been a tackle and a pretty darn good one 
with Calgary, but the Riders, after they selected him, wanted to go back because they saw him as a potential center of the future. So I think on the field, they can fill that void. It's not going to be as good as Clark right away, but I think Bandy has the capabilities to be a guy that's in this league for a while. It's going to be more the leadership because, guys, even though Clark can still be around the team, it's just not different. It just is different, excuse me, when you're suiting up and you're going out to battle with your boys. It is. And I also question if there was hypothetically an NFL caliber center who was born in Saskatchewan, who was a free agent, (laughs) would the Riders hypothetically have interest in that player? I think the answer hypothetically would be yes. And we actually know that there is such player currently available. Brett Jones, who spent the last seven years in the NFL as a member of the Giants, Vikings, and last year with the Denver Broncos, uh, who is currently a free agent. He was actually in Saskatchewan very recently for an NFL flag football game. I'm not saying that that Brett Jones is going to be signing with the Riders tomorrow. But what I am saying is if maybe September were to roll around and Mr. Jones is still without an NFL team, I'm very curious to see if he would consider signing a, a big money deal, front-loaded you know, signing bonus deal with his hometown Riders because Given the opportunity to win a Grey Cup at home, I think that might even sway a player who spent that long in the NFL like Brett Jones. Not dissimilar to how John Ryan came back to Saskatchewan at the end of his career. Mm. It would certainly be an intriguing option. If you're Brett Jones, you simply have to weigh how much money you've already made in your NFL stint versus how special that experience could be winning a Grey Cup. I believe this- Jones has made over $7 million in his NFL career. And Woo! Craig Dickinson was asked about Jones, and he kind of gave the same answer that he did about Brendan Labatt. And that was the first one he was asked about, was Mr. Labatt. And he said, Labatt has our number. He said all that he knows right now is Labatt is up north touring people on fishing trips. And then the follow-up question came about Jones, and he said, same thing. He has our number. He knows where to find us. So, To me, you know, I would have wanted to follow up and say, has there been any dialogue there with Jones to get him in? Because, Audrey, I think you make a prudent point here. Yes, you would sign, you know, an upfront deal, lots of signing bonus money. But it's not even just so much about the money that you could get for playing for the Riders this year. If you win a Grey Cup at home and he's a Weyburn native... That could pay dividends for years to come in that community. It's one thing to have a great NFL career. And yes, he's made, I believe it is, again, over $7 million. So he's probably just fine for money. But your legacy in Saskatchewan will grow. We know how much that team from 2013 has talked about Darian Durant and the rest. Clark was a part of that. But if Jones can jump into Ryder Green and White and help them win a Grey Cup, he would be even more revered in that province than he already is. If the Riders can't get the mythical Brett Jones, I think they could be in some trouble. The uninitiated might not realize this, but the, the center is such an integral piece to any football team. right? He's the brain, the, the cerebral cortex of the offensive line. He's got to make all those calls and it's a position group where chemistry is essential you need to know what your teammates are doing inside and out and the center is where that starts dan clark has been around for forever he knows all those guys he can make those calls make the correct decisions on the fly there are a few better at it in the league logan bandy is a prospect 
I liked a ton coming out of the University of Calgary. You note that he's got that one year of center experience, but that's not a lot of time at that position. And to jump in for your first starts at the most integral, in, in my opinion, position on the offensive line and the most difficult to play based on the responsibilities that you have to take on, that's a big ask. And if he can't step up to it, there's not a lot of depth in that building, right? This was the position that Matlin Riley, their first round pick, was supposed to be groomed to play before he retired. They have Diego Alatore from UBC, the, the Mexican offensive lineman who's played tackle and guard. I think he fits at center, but again, no experience there. So really, they're relying heavily on Logan Bandy to be able to take this bull by the horns and step up to the plate at a position that's extremely difficult for a young player to take over. Absolutely. And, and by the way, the guy who Logan Bandy's going to be seeing a lot of in his first game, future Hall of Fame defensive tackle, Armando Sewell. Talk about baptism by fire in your first pro start. It's now time for Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 2000, Willie Pless played the final game of his CFL career. The Alabama native played 14 CFL seasons with Toronto, BC, Edmonton, and Saskatchewan, dressing for one preseason game with Edmonton in 2000 to retire as a member of the team. The 11-time CFL All-Star recorded a league record 1,241 tackles, along with 84 sacks and 39 interceptions. Pless was named a C this CFL's most outstanding defensive player five times. That's the most of anybody ever and remains the only player to receive the honor more than three times. He appeared in three great cups, winning one in 1993 and was inducted into the Canadian hall of fame in 2005 boys. I think JC's too young to remember Willie Pless, but I'm curious dunkster. If you remember watching Willie Pless play on the field. Definitely do man. What an absolute monster in Hodge. I think you deserve a vote for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame based on some of this research that you've done because I don't know how a guy who was MODP five times and nobody else has even come close to that is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Maybe we need to look at that process. I know some of the, let's say, more veteran reporters in this country might not want to hear from the youngsters, but that's a simple fact, man. I don't know how that guy wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer because he was all over the field. You know, even as an offensive guy playing quarterback, my whole football career, I would tune in just to watch him play defense. I can remember those games on CBC with Mark Lee and Chris Walby on the broadcast. That was a great pair in and of themselves. But Pless was an absolute delight to watch play defensive football. I would love the opportunity to participate in that voting. And uh, the people in charge of it are aware of that. Oh, right. <laughs> maybe in the future then maybe in the future it's now time for the three minute drill here we go the winnipeg blue bombers brought back global defensive end theadric hansen was that a prudent move well the global program has produced about two notable players and theadric hansen is one of them so absolutely very happy to see him back in the league who's the other one uh, i guess cody grace fair well actually i shouldn't say that Notable could mean good and bad. There's probably a couple on the other side of that, <laughs> but we won't get into it. Longtime Ticat safety Mike Daly is now the defensive backs coach at Wilfrid Laurier. Is that a good hire? I think it's a fantastic hire, stealing him away so he can't go back to his alma mater at Nick Master. Daly was super intelligent. I think he'll make a fantastic coach. 
The Cleveland Browns make Canadian Catherine Reich the highest-ranking female executive in the NFL, hiring her as an assistant general manager and vice president of football operations. How cool is that? It's great, and it's just a very interesting juxtaposition with the Browns making Reich in that position and giving her that designation. And then they have signed Deshaun Watson to a $230 million contract who has uh, a lot of ladies coming after him for some not-so-great stuff, let's just say it. Montreal Alouettes owner Gary Stern has been making waves on Twitter, prompting Ticats caretaker Bob Young to suggest he deserves more followers than Dwayne The Rock Johnson. What world are we living in? The owner of the bankrupt XFL. Is this all in good fun? I think it is all in good fun. Gary Stern will probably never have as many followers as The Rock, but I'll give him credit. He went from having almost none to over 3,000 in the span of about a week. Good for him. Chase Claypool said on the I Am Athlete podcast that he is a top three receiver in the NFL. Is that true? No, it's not true. He's not even a top three receiver in the state of Pennsylvania. He's I, Chase Claypool, please, from the bottom of my heart, I want to see you succeed. Please just talk less in public. Longtime CFL coach Jeff Reinbold has been named an assistant with the major league with Major League Football's Alabama Airborne. Is that a good hire? It's smart, but man, we need the real story of what happened with Mr. Reinbold in Hamilton and Montreal. I'm sure one day it'll be out there. Probably on Three Down Nation. Longtime CFL pass rusher Odell Willis officially retired as a member of the Edmonton football team. How will you remember him? I will remember Mr. Odell Willis very fondly. I think my number one memory of him was when he was asked ahead of the 2015 Grey Cup, what happened that allowed Edmonton to reach a new height, a new level? And his quote, if I'm remembering it correctly, was, I growed, my growed, the whole team growed. Gotta love when guys are able to grow, or growed in this case. The Elks released Oreo dunking barbell backflipping receiver Shy Ross. Is that a surprise? It is a surprise. Now, I don't think Shy Ross is necessarily an elite receiver, uh, and I can see why maybe him and Chris Jones don't mesh in terms of a level of physicality. But this is the second straight week that the Edmonton Elks have released a guy that they started in the previous game. That should not happen. I, I don't understand how this keeps happening with Chris Jones. Oseg apologized for a miscommunication with its new security team that saw them confiscate flags and ask fans not to ring cowbells at Ottawa's season opener. Was an apology necessary? It was. The fans in our nation were certainly upset about this and credit Mark Gowdy for owning the situation there. And they got to inform the security team, man, because there's fans that have been doing that for years. And then all of a sudden they're getting booted from the game. So credit Oseg for being transparent and owning the whole situation. Star receiver Duke Williams will be back for the Riders on Thursday when they take on the Alouettes. How big of a deal is that for Saski? It's a huge deal. All due respect to Mitch Picton, who had the game-winning touchdown this past week. But Duke Williams is on another level. And I think that coming off of a short week, let's remember the Riders played Saturday. They're playing again Thursday night. You need all the firepower you can get, especially doing that on the road. Riders on the road both games. Not an easy way to get scheduled. I think Duke Williams could help put them over the top in that one. 
We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see y'all next Wednesday for another episode. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.